I am feeling better. I, I, I was really ill. I had the man flu last week. That's serious. It is very serious. All right. Okay, so we're doing chapter 10 of, um, of Romans. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of, God, of Christ. The, um, two weeks ago when we first started this little group of three chapters, 9, 10 and 11, we did mention that they were tricky chapters, controversial chapters and difficult sometimes to uh, uh, understand well. And uh, we did say also that they are related to Israel and, and God dealing with Israel, his relationship with Israel and, and vice versa, you know, Israel's relationship with God because it is two-way, isn't it? Our relationship with God is from us to him and from him to us. It's a two-way thing. And we looked at, and we did mention rather, that it's referring to Israel's past, present and future regarding their relationship with God. And chapter 9 is about the past. Chapter 10 obviously is the present. And next week, hopefully, we can look at chapter 11, the future. So why are we looking at this again? Can we remember? Can we remember why we're looking at this? If this is about God and his relationship with Israel and the other way around, why are you and I at Montmorency Community Church here in Australia, 2019, looking at this? Why is it relevant? Why is it relevant to, to you and me? In the interest of you getting to know a bit more about me, which I was encouraged to, to share a while ago, I'm going to tell you another instalment of my life. And it's related to the importance of the Old Testament. Now, when I got saved, which was a long time ago, 40 years ago, Sandra, that's a long time, 40 years. You have no idea how that looks, right? 40 years ago, I was saved at 21 years of age. As a young Christian, you know, I, I went to the church that, that was just down the road from me, about 50 metres down the road. And, uh, you know, I tried to understand what Christianity was all about. And you know, the Old Testament, I, I couldn't get my head around it. It was full of prophecy. Now, prophecy is really hard to understand. It talks about something in the future, talks about it in, 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 in you know, symbolic ways and, and, and gives you little glimpses. There's not a lot of detail. The Old Testament's got a whole heap of really hard names to say. When you read it, you have no idea how, how to say them. There are genea- there's a whole, there's whole pages and pages and pages of genealogies, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so. I had to learn all this in the King James Version. Now keep that in mind, won't you? And then there was the poetry, all the Psalms. Now I think I've shared this before. I'm, I don't like poetry. I was traumatised by my English teacher in year eight. It was year eight. 
regarding poetry. So being a young Christian of 21 years old, 21 years of age, I was, and I was not, I was not a reader. I, I really wasn't. I don't think I owned a book then. In fact, when I moved out of home at 18 and moved into a flat and then into our first um, rented house, I don't think we had a bookshelf for about three years. Not even a bookshelf. Things have changed now, of course. I love to read. I really love to read. God's blessed me with giving me a love of reading. And have I got books at home? Have I got books at home? You know, I give books away now. And we won't even talk about how much shelving we've got. But as a young Christian of 21 years old, not not a great reader, I wanted to fast track my journey into Christianity. And so I thought, well, New Testament, New Testament. It's for now, it's for today, it's new. Yeah, the other one's old. It's all about Christ. It's all about the church and, and, and here and now. And so I focused on that. I focused on that. I started to read the New Testament very slowly. And I attended my church down at East Coburg. Now that little church was just down the road, as I said. It was a small church, but it was a traditional English slash Irish slash Scottish brethren church. Now you older folks know exactly what that's like. They would have a morning meeting service, a bit like, well nothing like we've got here this morning, but we did have the emblems and we would meet and we would worship and we would sing and we would partake of communion. Then in the evening at 7 o'clock they would have the gospel service, the gospel meeting where someone would preach the gospel every Sunday night. I loved the gospel service. I learned so much just attending the gospel service, even though I was saved and I'm a Christian. And then, on a Wednesday night, was the prayer and Bible study. Yeah, 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 yeah. nodding, nodding, yeah, yeah. That was a good time. You know, <laughs> I became a Christian at 21, as I said, knew nothing, knew nothing. So I went to my first prayer and Bible study on a Wednesday night. Chapter 6 of Revelation. Can you imagine it? I had no idea what they were talking about. I'm thinking, what have I got myself into here? But, you know, I was encouraged to persevere. I don't think I learnt much about Revelation in that first time. Now, those those study times were led by the elders, a couple of the elders, the senior men who were very knowledgeable, but the way they did it was in the traditional old brethren way, verse by verse. None of this one chapter a week thing, verse by verse. There's a lot to be said for that. I stand before you today as a product of that sort of system, if you want to call it that. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, nevertheless. So anyway, a, a few years, well, no, about 18 months, maybe two years had gone by and, and they finished Revelation in, in, the, in the, the prayers and prayer and Bible study and they went and decided to do chapter, do 1 Corinthians. And finally, because they were doing it verse by verse, they got to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And last, not last week, the week before I read you what verse 6 says. 
I'm going to read you what verse seven, uh, verse 11 says. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. And these things happen to them, that's for Israelites, as examples and were written down as warnings for you. I'm sitting there and a dear brother, Albert, Albert Campbell Sr., took a whole night to explain those two lines changed my perspective on the Old Testament forever you see brothers and sisters Israel was unique as we mentioned last time not only in their relations with God but we get the only information we have of how God deals with people how God deals with his, his own people. We only get it from the Bible. The only example that we have of how God relates to humans, men and women and children and families and, and, and societies is found in the Bible and it's shown to us through God's dealings with Israel. And that's in the Old Testament. Very, very important. It took me a while to understand why that was. These things happened to them as examples and were written down. God instructed the Apostle Paul to write this down, remind the people to look back, look back at history, learn from it as warnings. Now, as a young believer, that changed my life, that little verse. I hope it changes your life this morning. So we get this information about how God deals with, with, with humans, humankind, and we get to understand his mind and his will for people you know, in a limited sense. So in Romans chapter 10, we come up to, with, with these two things. The rejection of God by the nation of Israel. You think about that. The rejection of God from the nation of Israel. That would be like my daughter up the back there saying, Dad, I don't want to see you, hear from you, know anything about you for the rest of my life. I don't want you in my life. It would be devastating, would it not? It would be devastating to hear that from a child. It would be devastating for God to have heard that and seen it in action. And it came from ignorance, we're told in chapter 10, and from stubbornness. You see, in verse 2 we read that Israel was religious. They had a zeal for God. That's great to have a zeal for God, to be enthusiastic about the things of God, to go to church, say, for example, to read the scriptures, for example, to live a life that's, you know, good, supposedly, do nice things for people. It says that their zeal was not based on knowledge. You see, it's all right to be uh, zealous 
But if you're not zealous for the right reason, it's of no use. So they were ignorant. Not stupid. Just ignorant. They didn't know or weren't willing to know. And then in verse 16, it talks about stubbornness. It said, not all Israel accepted the good news. Now, that, that when you read that, you can think, oh, yeah, a few people didn't. No, 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 no. It was the other way round, brothers and sisters. Just about everybody decided they didn't want it and a few people accepted. It's a difference, isn't it? And what we're going to look at in chapter 10 is that the gospel, the good news, was available to, to them and it's available to everyone today. It's, the gospel is universal. It wasn't just for them and the gospel is plain and we'll see at the end of the chapter God's faithfulness. When we start this chapter, the first four verses, we can still feel the, the, the passion and desire that Paul had for his, for his fellow countrymen. We talked a little bit about that two weeks ago. And here in chapter 10, you can feel that his desire for them to embrace this news, this gospel. His desire and prayer to God is that Israel may be saved may be saved. You know, he's heartbroken about their, their, their condition. I look out there, brothers and sisters, out in the world, and I'm heartbroken when I think about what's happening out there to people, to young families, to young kids, to old folks. Heartbroken. Because there's a, there's a remedy. And you know, Paul, when he looked out there, he could see his fellow countrymen um, just pursuing these things, the wrong things, the wrong objectives, with such zeal, with such determination, with sincerity. You know, he was one of them. That's what he used to do. So he knew exactly what was going on there. He could feel his pain. And, you know, and it still happens today. The warnings. Remember the warnings? The warnings? It still happens today. Not just with Israel, but with the church. Churches like this one. Individuals like you and me. You know, we are, we are really, we are ignorant of what the scriptures say. We really are. We'd like to think we know heaps, but we don't. We really don't. You know, we pursue good goals, you know, food and clothing and shelter for the poor. Please don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with that. I would encourage you to do that. We, we, we pursue goals like world peace, the end of diseases, freedom from slavery. All good things. But you know what it is? What's happening is that they are substituting what God actually asks us to do. And we we suppose that by doing these good things that we will win favour with God. We'll overlook some of the things that are not so good in our life. Some of the things that we are actually neglecting to do according to his will. This is what Paul is trying to bring home to his people. 
I hope it comes home to us today because this is written to you and me as warnings. And then the stubbornness. Sometimes churches today can be so set in their ways that they are unconsciously serving their own traditions. You know, this is how we used to always do it. This is how we've always done it. Nothing wrong with traditions. Some of them are very good. But sometimes, a lot of the times, they're very self-serving. We do it because it makes us feel good. We're used to it. We're comfortable. And And we have the mentality of, Preservation being our top priority rather than, than advancing the kingdom of God. And Paul says in verse 4 that Christ is the end of all this. He brings it to an end. Not sure what version yet you were, uh, Evan was reading, but he had a different word. But the word end in, in the NIV is the word telos in the Greek, which means achievement, fulfilment. So Christ is the achievement, the fulfilment. It also means the completion, the perfection, the execution, the termination of the law. Very, very important. And so in verse, if I can get to verse 5, this is, a very, this is one of those controversial verses, Okay. Verse 5, it says, Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. That means, basically it means, keep the law and you are righteous before God. Keep the law and you've got nothing to fear as far as God is concerned. Now that's been a very controversial topic for a long time amongst Christians, different churches, and even and even out there, the people who, who who aren't believers, they think, well, if I live well, if I do the right thing, theoretically, that's true. Please don't rush up after the church service and say, "Raph, you're wrong." Theoretically, that's true. If you could keep the Ten Commandments. You would be righteous. What does theoretically mean? I don't know whether you were listening to the radio two weeks ago, but you know they they discovered the the astronomers have discovered that there is a another Earth-like planet in our next solar uh, yeah, solar system, not galaxy, because galaxy is too far away. And they reckon that 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 it has qualities like Earth. And it's three times the mass, which means three times the size, which is a problem in itself. But they were saying that, you know, this is, it's possible, you know, we, 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 we could, we could colonise this, this, this planet, you know, when things get really bad and hot here, you know. This is what they were saying. This, these are intellectual, intelligent people. So let me, let me just illustrate to you technically possible, theoretically possible, right? The next nearest galaxy is 70,000 light years away. That's a long time. That's too far. 
So we're not even going to bother looking at that. So we're looking at the next solar system. You know, like our solar system. That's good because, because that's only 4.3 light years away. Oh, that's much, much closer, isn't it? 70,000 as opposed to 4.3 light years away. That's a lot closer. That's good, isn't it? Do you feel good about that? Okay. Just supposing that we could travel at the speed of light, uh, uh, one light year, that means the amount of distance that a beam of light can travel in a year, is 10 trillion, with a T, trillion kilometres. One light year equals 10 trillion kilometres. We're not going to worry about the point three. So four times light year, four light years equals 40 trillion kilometres, right? So the trip, if you were going to leave Earth and go to this other planet that they reckon is sort of Earth-like in the next solar system would take... 1.2 1.2 billion, that's with a b- billion hours. It sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It's, yeah? All right. So there's 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, which when, you work, when they worked it all out, this, this was on the radio, right? A serious discussion on the radio. They said it would take a, a human being travelling at the speed of light 137,000 years to get there. So theoretically, brothers and sisters, we, we could colonise that. That's, what, that's, that's how I would describe to you. Theoretically possible. That's what you can do. That's, if you can keep the law, theoretically it's possible. But practically... Practically... It's impossible. You know, there are only ten commandments. There are only ten of them. And you may do well if you could keep half. But it's impossible. Don't even waste your time thinking that you can keep them. Don't fool yourself. There's only been ever been one human being that's ever been able to keep them, and that's the Lord Jesus. So then we go down to verse 6 and, 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 and 7 and here there is, these are quotes from the Old Testament. This is why it's, the Old Testament is important, Deuteronomy. So what Paul is saying to, 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 to the Israelites here and, and to us, you today, is not a new concept. God again explains um, the great rewards of obeying him and, of course, the dire consequences of disobedience. God talks about devotion rather than perfection. There's a difference. You see, God understands it's unreasonable for him to ask us to be perfect. He never asks us to be perfect. He shows us that we're not perfect, but we can't keep that law. And God knows that. So what does God ask of? He asks for devotion. Perfection is unreasonable expectation, but devotion is within the reach of every human being, every single one of us. Devotion, devotion means a profound dedication, an earnest attachment to a cause 
or a person. This is what God wants, a dedication, an attachment to him. I'm not a perfect husband. Far from it. What are you smiling at, Elizabeth? Has Paul only been talking to you? <laughs> but I am a devoted husband. I really am. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not boasting. I am devoted because I can do that. I can be devoted. I can't be perfect. I can't. And so it's the same is true today. What was true then? What Paul is reminding the Israelites is true for them, is true for you and me today. We're not expected to be perfect. And God here says that that something has already been done to help you get right with God. Something, a price has already been paid by somebody so you don't have to pay for your penalty. And God's righteousness, it says here, is received Received through faith, through belief, not merit. Not merit. And what Paul is making very clear to to us and to these people here that he's writing to is that the destiny, the destiny of every single person ever born, ever existed, irrespective of which country, which nationality you belong to, what colour your skin has, how much money you may have, how much education you've received, your destiny is determined by the choice that you make with this truth that's been presented. And Paul then launches into a, an argument of man's responsibility. Two weeks ago we looked at God's sovereignty. God had a plan. God had devised a plan of how he was going to do it. He's right. It's his right. He's sovereign. He can do that. So God presents his plan to us. And And it's a biblical concept. Way back, God says, here you go. You choose. Look it up, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the first time it happened. And so, and so we have the first one, the gospel is available, those who hear it are accountable. No one can plead ignorance. We've looked at that at the, in the very early chapters of Romans. God exists. Man has to, rec- has to recognise that. And so God then has a plan that he wants executed and we're accountable. Choose you. And 2,000 years after Deuteronomy, the Lord again came to, to the people and he, offered, he, he, he presented himself to them and he said to them, Here I am, I'm the Messiah, choose. Will you follow me? Will you obey God or not? They didn't. They didn't choose to obey him. They didn't follow him. And that's their present condition. I don't know if you know any Jewish people, but if you do, ask them, what do they think of Jesus Christ? If you get a chance to go down to Elstonwick or Camberwell to the synagogues down there, 
they wouldn't let you in. But if you, on, on, when, when they come out, ask them, what do you think of Jesus Christ? See the response you get. Verse 9, great verse. It says, if you confess with your mouth, that means to admit, acknowledge their rebellion. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's a deep conviction that what is stated by God about you is true. It says you will be saved. It's a fantastic guarantee. It's not a maybe. It's not possible. It's not in the, sometime in the future. It says if you believe, if you confess rather, uh, with, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And that means saved means safe. No longer, no longer condemned. Better than that, protected. That means you're protected from whatever was going to happen. Saved also means rescued from your, from your peril, from your danger of standing before a holy, we sang about a holy and righteous God who has an expectation, who must be obeyed because he's sovereign. You're saved from that. And it also means to be kept from being lost. That's why I don't, I don't, I don't give people, who, Christians who say, oh, you can lose yourself. I don't give them any time at all. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And that's it. It's so simple, it's so easy, if it's genuine. The gospel is universal, therefore no one is exempt from it. Nobody can say, I don't believe that, so it doesn't, it doesn't concern me. That's rubbish. Rubbish. God's standard of righteousness is belief in Jesus Christ. And, and I love, and I love this passage. This chapter 10 is, is a great passage because it has some tremendous verses. It says there, uh, verse, verse 11, anyone who trusts in him, anyone, anyone, everyone. In verse 12 it says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, no distinction at all. And verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are, but also it doesn't matter what you've done. God's not interested in what sort of sin. You know, there's no sin that God cannot forgive. It doesn't matter how bad it is. You know, one, one time, you know that little notice out the front of the, the out the front of the church here. One time, one year they had they had the banner that said, "God loves everyone, even Adolf Hitler." You know, and we didn't put it up because you know the elders at the time thought it was a little bit, you know. But it's true, you know. 
didn't love didn't love what Adolf Hitler did. But even the the terrible things that Adolf Hitler did, if he had confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart, God would have forgiven that. I don't want to think like that. I would struggle to forgive Adolf Hitler. But you're lucky that I'm not God. Because there is no sin that God cannot forgive. There's a flip side to that. There's no sin that God can overlook. Not even the little white one. You know, Graham, whenever Elizabeth says, does this, does this dress make me look fat? You know? And we have to say, no. He can't even overlook that. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. And there's no sin that he cannot overlook. This, uh, the gospel is plain. Therefore, the unsaved are responsible. It says there, it said there, didn't it, uh, verses 16 to 20, that not all of Israel accepted. Not because it was complicated. Because they chose not to accept. They chose not to accept. So, who's responsible for that choice? God? No. I'm responsible for the choices that I make. Nobody else is responsible. And they chose. They chose not to accept God's offer. They rejected the offer. And then we read, then we read, um, verses 17 to 18 that, that, and these are all Old Testament quotes. So right from, right from the, from the, uh, the, the, the get-go, Israel had heard from the prophets. Israel understood the word of God. It was explained to them. It was taught to them. They understood. And, and Israel had seen the power of God many times. And even when the Lord came, the power of God was displayed in, in the miracles that he had performed in front of them. And they still crucified him, still rejected him. And in love, and in love God, it says, provoked them. You know, he poked them and it, you know, by, by offering salvation to you and me, to the Gentiles, the dogs. That's what the Jews used to call us. He provoked them and said, look, I love them as well. You don't want this? I'm going to give it to them. You know, as a parent, I, I, I've done that, you know, trying to coax one, one child <laughs> to copy the other. And God in love provoked them. But Israel, Israel has rejected God. But God has not rejected Israel. And I love the way this chapter finishes up in verse 21. I want you to, I don't know what God looks like. I really don't. But try and picture this. God says, all day long, all day long, I held out my arms to a disobedient and obstinate or stubborn people. I can see God doing that. I can just say, 
You know, and the Lord, He echoed that, didn't He, when He was here? He says, Come unto me, come unto me, and I will give you rest. They didn't flock. There weren't millions of people coming unto Him. They chose not to. He chose not to. God is faithful. God is loving. God is just. God is holy. And we have a responsibility all day long. So what's the application of this chapter for you and me today? Very quickly, because my time's gone. Last time we spoke, two weeks ago, we learned that God is sovereign. He does have the right to do things the way he wants them to do them, however weird they may appear to us. He has the right to do that. He has set a plan in motion. He has the right to do that. But then people, you and me, are responsible to how we react to that. Not God. You and I are responsible to do that. You noticed, oh, hopefully you'd noticed, that I didn't talk about verses 14 and 15. They're, they're fantastic verses. I think they're Monty's responsibility. When you read through those verses, they'll say things like, how, how can they call on someone they haven't heard about? How can they believe? How can they hear if nobody tells them? That's our responsibility. As believers, as people of God, our responsibility in Monty is to make sure that people have opportunity to call, have opportunity to hear, are clear in their mind as how they can become believers. You know, Christmas isn't too far away. We are planning to have a Christmas outreach out in the Monte area, in this street in particular, and there'll be more information about that. What will you do? Who will you tell? Who will you invite? You know, there's a little phrase here, Verse 15 says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. As an elder of this church, I would love us to be known in Montmorency as the church of beautiful feet. I really would. Of all the things that people could say about us, I'd love them to say that we have beautiful feet. Because if we take this message out, if we share this message with people, if we take the risk and tell people about God and about being saved, getting right with God, we will have beautiful feet. And God will be pleased. Our brothers and sisters, as we close, that's that's the believe definition that we have on our door. That's what, it, that's what it says. Believe that all people in the wider community of Montmorency Community Church 
will have opportunity to believe in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. It's almost out of Romans 10, isn't it? That's why God set, set Israel aside. That's why God could not bless Israel anymore. Not only did they not choose to follow him, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. We have been privileged to be given a stake by God in his plan of salvation. We're to be the feet, the mouthpiece, the opportunities that people have to hear the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this uh, this morning for the opportunity we've had to gather together, just a few in number. But Father, what we have is great in power. We have the message of the good news. And only if only one person shares that message with someone else and they believe, heaven rejoices. God is glorified. The kingdom is advanced. And Father, we pray that you would help us as a church, as a community of your people, to take this message out, to help people become aware of the love of God, of the mercy and the grace of God, but also of the salvation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for the things that you have shared with us in your word. I thank you, Father, that you have given us warnings that we may not make the same errors that have been made by others in the past. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to put into practice whatever it is the Holy Spirit is indicating to us this morning that we need to to put right in our life. And this I ask in the Saviour's name. Amen.